Hi, my name is Timothy Robinson. Uh, this is my wife, Tony Robinson. We um, are planning, well, we have planted a church in Fitchburg. Uh, I don't know if you guys know where Fitchburg is. It's about an hour from here. Um, um, third largest city in the, in the Worcester County. And um, I, when I first got here, I was on like Facebook, and I'm kind of getting a little ahead of myself, but I saw this, this ad and it was already, God was already working my heart about planning a church and I'll get there, but saw this ad about, hey, I, I, wish, I think it was from Pastor Rob, I wish someone would plant in Fitchburg. And so I'm like, hey, I'm in Fitchburg. And I, God was already working in my heart, so I reached out to him. And so Pastor Rob uh, has been basically um, my counselor. He was our coach. He's supposed to be just my coach for church planning. But, um, and I told him, man, I got to start paying you for these sessions because every time he comes down, I'm, I'm just pouring my heart out to him. And he became more than just my coach. He became my mentor, uh, someone I could really talk to. And so I really feel a part of Mercy House, even though this is the first time I've actually been here, I, I do feel very close to you because of Pastor Robert and everything that he's um Done for, done for me. So I just want to thank you for sharing your pastor with me. Um, it was just really has been really grateful and helpful through some of the just the craziness that I'm going to actually talk about that's been going on just being a church planner. And so um, I want to give you a little bit of my testimony, and then we'll jump right into the text and then get going. Is that okay with you guys? All right. So um, like I said, I'm from Monroe, Louisiana, a very small town. Um, I, you don't know where it's at, and so I usually say. Duck Dynasty, and everyone's like, oh yeah, that, that's, that's my hometown, um, Duck Dynasty. Um, you know, uh, uh, Phil Robertson pretty much baptized most of my family except me. I'm the only Baptist in our family, um, the black sheep, no pun intended. Um, I, I get, like every time I go home, I get letters, like, you know, you really need to stop with that Baptist stuff, but um, yeah, I'm the only Baptist in the family. My family was very religious um, on Sunday. And so uh, Monday through Saturday, it was straight ratchetness. Do you guys know what ratchetness is? <laughs> do you guys know, y'all know what that is? Yeah, it was. Uh, so if you do not know what ratchetness is, reality TV show, but, but it was no script. Like this was real life for us. Um, and me and my wife, thinking about writing a book to make some money. I'm broke and I don't, no shame in that. I'll change the names, but I'm thinking about doing that. And it's just, I'm older now. I've gotten over some of the things, but it was really difficult growing up um, in Monroe, Louisiana. And so I, I know how to pray. I know how to speak Christian, the Christian language, but it never really just clinked, really got into my heart. Um, and so, and I can't, I don't know who to blame for that. I'm not going to be one of those people. Like I never heard the, had the gospel preached to me. I can't say that I was in church all the time. I just wasn't paying attention and it never touched my heart. Um, so I started, you know, never knew my father and all that stuff. Uh, started going out in the streets, um, drugs, gangs and all this stuff. My grandmother, I lived with my grandmother. Uh, my mother had me at a very young age. And so my grandma was like, yo, you, you got, you got to get out. And so she kicked me out. Um, and I thank her for that. Um, so I went to go live with my mother who was in Kansas. She was like, you got to get out of here. I got to kick you out too. And so I just became homeless and it was just really struggling. So my stepfather, who my mother had just married, was in the military. And he was like, you know what? You, you know, you, jail or the military, that, that's pretty much all I see for you or death. Like so many friends I'd already lost. And so I was like, all right, yeah, I'm going to, you know, the depravity of man. I was like, hmm, you see death. You know, I'm going to choose death and go back into the streets. And I, I did that, too. And so finally, someone just reached out to me like, just please, 
uh, go to Germany where my parents were at. I went out there. I saw the military life and I was like, you know what, let me try this out. I went to the military um, and man, I became a straight atheist. Like there's so many religions in the military, if you don't know, so much going on. I just really just got caught up in all of that. Uh, good thing I met my wife. Um, we married after four months. Romantic, right? Don't do that. All right. <laughs> don't, do not do it. Uh, any couples out here doing? Yeah, it's, it, do not do that. God used it. Uh, grace, he, he pulled us through. But there were a lot of nights I woke up with her standing over me with that look, like I'd kill you if I could. And, uh, and rightfully so. Um, my wife uh, also was in the military. We, we, were, we, were, we were broken. And what we were trying to do was fix each other. Um, and I always say this, I put messianic expectations on my wife. And, and you know, she tried to be that person I needed to be, but I needed Jesus to be that person for me. And she just couldn't do that. And that was just devastating for her. And so she was like, I'm out of here. I'm, I got to get out of here. And she was, um, we were about to get a divorce. And so I'm just really depressed and I can't do anything right. My family's kicked me out. I can't even make marriage work. And I just really just wanted to end my life. Um, and so I had decided, purposed in my heart to, to uh, end my life. And I was in Framingham, um, um, which is a funny story because I was supposed to be deployed. And um, there's a thing called stop loss if you're in the military, 30 days out. If you're about to go to Iraq, you, there's nothing. You, it doesn't even matter if you're about to retire on the day one. If you're about to go to Iraq, you got to go. Uh, the military does it all the time. So my captain told me, he was like, look, man, they, I came up on orders from Massachusetts. And he said, you're going to Iraq, you're stop loss. God himself cannot get you on a plane. So I'm on a plane in Massachusetts, right? And just like, I'm devastated. And I'm like, how did this happen? Because uh, I really didn't want to be in mass. So I got all this stuff going on. Now my wife's about to leave me. And um, I really want to end my life. And so this lady comes by, her name is Joanne. She wants to measure the windows. And um, she knocks on the door and says, hey, can I measure your windows? And I was like, no. And I closed the door. And uh, so <laughs> she, she knocks again and she says, please, it'll only take like five seconds. So I'm like, all right, hurry up. Come on, let's, let's get this over with. So she comes in and she starts singing Amazing Grace while she's measuring the windows. Um, and so I asked her, you know, are you one of those church ladies? And she said, yes, I am. Uh, would you like to meet my pastor? And I said, no. And she said, um, no, he's really great. And I was like, I don't want to meet your pastor. Just hurry up and get out. She calls him right there on the spot. I'm like, this crazy lady's in my house. She won't leave. And she calls him right on the spot. He gets on the phone. Hey, man, you should come to church. I'm not coming to church. It's like so weird. It was just so weird to me. Like, they were so persistent. But when everyone left and my wife was about to come home, I thought, my wife is leaving tomorrow. Maybe we could do one more thing as a family. And so I invited her to church. And so she said, all right, let's go to church. So we went to church. Pastor uh, took us in the back after the sermon. Um, and he, he, ex he sat us down and asked us about God and all that stuff. And so I always struggled with Jesus dying on the cross. Uh, that was always weakness to me. Uh, I, was a very, I was a very big X-Men fan, you know, superheroes. And so God dying on the cross, I was just, I, I, that didn't resonate with me. But the pastor was able to explain to me that it wasn't weakness. It was actually grace. And it was actually grace why he died. And that really touched my heart that someone um, loved me enough to die. But then I started thinking about all the bad stuff that I had did and all the, and the way that I was living. And it really started to get to me and also started to get to my wife. And so we accepted Christ, uh, got saved, man, discipleship. Uh, we were straight off the streets. Discipleship was crazy. Uh, these people were so loving for us. For us. There's a church in um, 
Framingham. I mean, we were just asking all those questions, you know, those weird those questions, trying to stump them. And they were just so nice to us, and they never let up showing us grace and love. And uh, we just grew in that church. Uh, I felt called to preach, went to Bible college, um, told my pastor, you know, I'm really feeling that God wants me to preach. And so I went to Bible college, graduated. My senior year, I'm almost done, sorry. My senior year, I started getting like these emails about how Massachusetts is like the third, and I think now the first most unchurched place in, the, in America. And it really started to get to me because I had a job lined up for me down south, really good paying job. And you know, most, most Bible college students, they, they, they have this idea that they're gonna graduate and just be this big time superstar pastor. And sometimes in the south, that's true. But man, God was really egging in my heart that there's a need here in Massachusetts to stay up here. And so um, I told my wife, like, you know, I'm really feeling that I need to be here. So we started praying to God and I was like, God, I need a house. Um, I need um, and a job. So I applied for a job. God gives, and I was not qualified straight up. I was not qualified for this job and I get the job. I'm like, whoa, that's crazy. I get the job. I was like, ha, but you know what? God, you got to give me a place to live and I can't afford to live here even with this nice job. So this guy calls me. He heard I was looking for a place. And he says, you know, how much you got? I'm like, $1,100, $1,500 dollar place. He said, I'll give it to you for uh, $1,050. And so I'm like, oh, wow. I hadn't seen the place. So I took the place because I was just in shock. It was like, it was, it, I was like, really? I'll take it. So um, I took the apartment without seeing the place. Don't do that, ever. <laughs> and it was the winter. Don't look for a house in the winter. Don't do that either. Um, because when the snow goes away, people come outside. And when we got to Fitchburg, I'm just going to be honest with you. I was like, what have I done? I was like, I can't believe. I, I was just in shock. And I told my wife, don't freak out. This is just, we're just here. To, we're going to save some money. And God's going to send us to that awesome place that he's calling us to. Because God surely is calling me to a great ministry of 12,000 people and all this. So don't worry, let's just wait it out. But I had no idea that God had other plans for us. So we're going to be in Matthew 10. Sorry for the long introduction. Um, if you don't mind, um, and I, t I told Tim, I apologize to him this morning. Can we just scoot back up to chapter 9, verse 35 through 37 for just a little bit? Just a little bit. I just kind of just want to start there. Chapter 9, 37 through 30. Um, 35 through 37. As you're turning there, I'll just give you a little history. Jesus is on the scene. He's been tempted by Satan. He's began his ministry. He's called the disciples. He's healing. He's casting out demons. He's just turning the world upside, world literally upside down. Uh, he's preached a sermon on the mount that has people astonished at his teaching because he's teaching with authority. The people had never experienced anything like Jesus. Um, let me just read chapter uh, chapter nine, verse thirty five real quick. Jesus was going through all the cities and villages, teaching in the synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Seeing the people, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to the disciples, the harvest is plenty, but the workers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. And the reason I want to start right here is because right here we see the heart of Jesus. This is what makes our faith and our message so unique. 
the creator of the universe has compassion for people. So when people think about God, they think about, you know, the Greek gods, these, these gods who we could never reach up to. They're always angry. And then Jesus comes along and says, no, God is trying to have a personal relationship up close with you. We have a God that has compassion. At the Haven Church right now, uh, we're going through a um, series called The Waiting Room, and we're looking at the life of King Hezekiah. And, um, and King Hezekiah, um, you know, he's trying to restore the, the, the kingdom that's been divided, the, the northern and southern kingdom. He sends out a letter, and he says, he says this. He says that if you turn back to God, he will forgive you because he is a compassionate God. If you turn from your sin and God, if you turn from your sin, God will forgive you because he is a compassionate God. God has compassion on the people because they were dispirited. They were sheep without a shepherd and they were distressed. Now, distressed, that means troubled. Dispirited, that means helpless. They're downcast. How many of us know distressed or dispirited people who are who are downcast. Does, it, does anybody know any, any, any people like that? People, sheep without a shepherd, there are people that are talking into their ears are leading them astray. That calls Jesus to have compassion on these people. We, um, when we, when we, um, you know, we're living in Fitchburg or we don't know what God has for us. I'm going to work. Uh, my wife is calling me and telling me that there are a lot of kids in the neighborhood who, um, they're, they're just, they're like, they're like many adults. They, they feed themselves. They're, they're, they're out there. Some of them are, are hustling. Some of them are, are, are doing all types of stuff with no parents in sight. And so, she, you know, she started inviting them over for dinner uh, and, and lunch. And so I did a little bit of investigating on my own. And I, and I kid you not, I never experienced anything like this actually before. I was really shocked um, that all of their parents were addicts. And and I'm not exaggerating with you. All of our kids' parents are addicts. And that was just amazing to me. And even the ones, a couple of them were recovering addicts, but they, they let me know that, man, I'm not, I'm not making it. I'm like two seconds. One lady told me, she's like, I'm, the only reason I'm not doing drugs right now is I'm just waiting until my daughter turns 18 and so I can get back on it. I had never, ever experienced anything like that. And I'm from, I'm from a pretty, pretty, pretty tough neighborhood. Um, we started the Fitchburg Youth Haven. And so what we do, we would collect the kids. Um, parents were, obviously, they didn't care. they take them, take the kids. So we would take the kids. Um, we would do devos. Uh, we would uh, feed them. We would do clothes and all that. Um, Krista, Krista's not here. You're, you're Krista. Uh, she came down and uh, she, she helped us. And um, it was just amazing. So we're sitting in the living room and uh, we're like, we have to have a name for this because the church that wants to let us use their building, has to have a name for the organization. And so Krista says, you know, we're all sitting there, we can't think of anything. And Krista's like, how about the Haven? And we were like, yeah, that makes so much sense. We're trying to provide a Haven. So yeah, uh, Krista named our church, just to let you guys know that. So that's another thing that we're linked to Mercy House. Uh, she named it for us. Um, but the big idea that I'm trying to get to you, that if we want to serve God, we, we have to ask the Lord to give us the same heart he has for people. Uh, eyes to see people like he does, uh, racism, classism, even uh, division in the church are all symptoms of us not seeing people the way Jesus does. All people are created in the image of God and all people need to be right with God. And I hope that is a message that you always remember. All people are created in God, um, in the image of God and need to be right with God. 
Now, some of us have compassion. I don't think some, a lot of us do not struggle with having compassion, but we don't do anything with it. Uh, notice that when Jesus is moved with compassion, it leads to action. And I'll just give you some examples. Jesus moved with compassion, so he fed the 5,000 with seven loaves of bread and small amount of fish. That's out of Matthew 15, 32. Jesus moved with compassion in Matthew 20, 34. He healed, he healed the blind. And we can go on and on and on and on. Jesus' compassion always led to actually doing something. And that also is this, what's going on right here. The compassion that Jesus looked out into the fields and he saw that the harvest was plenty and the laborers were few, the compassion led to him sending out the apostles. So if you want to effectively serve God, you have to first start with looking at people the way God looks at people. And that's why I wanted to push us back to start right there before we get into the, to this, because ministry is hard. Uh, there's, there's nothing, if you're doing ministry, you understand that ministry is hard. There's going to be times where you're like, man, I got, I don't, man, I don't want to do this. I can't do this. If you don't have the compassion that Jesus has, it's not going to last too long. Um, and what happens is, and you guys probably know this, there's a lot of people that, you know what, they'll drop off food, they'll, 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 they'll feed the poor, um, and that's it, and then they drive off. There's no communication, there's no connection. And that's what it kind of, you know, I did my good deed of the day. But Jesus, he was, he was, he was deeper than that. And I think that's what God is calling us to do. He's deeper than that. So what he does is he sends the apostles out. Now, apostle means one who is sent. This is someone who was commissioned by Jesus to give eyewitness testimony to his death, burial, and resurrection. And as you know, the 12 apostles ended up pretty much writing the Bible. Uh, Ephesians 2.20 tells us that the household of God is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. and And you know Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Now, the qualifications of an apostle is you have to witness the resurrected Jesus Christ, uh, chosen by the Holy Spirit, and have the ability to perform signs and wonders. Why? Because this was early Christianity. You had to, these men had to prove that they were real apostles because there actually were fake apostles out there, and Paul talks about that all the time. Uh, these apostles, these 12 apostles right here, have a unique position, and their mission was to plant the gospel in places where there was no gospel witness. Now, this specific type of apostle is not present in the church today. Um, yet, one of the spiritual gifts is apostleship. And this, this confuses some people sometime, uh, but it shouldn't. I want you to listen to Paul in Ephesians 4 through 11 just real quick. This is Ephesians 4, 11 through 12. He says, And he gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. There are the apostles who were commissioned by Jesus to give an eyewitness testimony to the death, burial, and resurrection, and they wind up writing the Bible, like I said. But there are also local church apostles who have the gift of planting the gospel in contexts that have never heard it before. And I believe that we have some of that in this room right now as we speak. So what I want to do is look at what Jesus did for the apostles, and then I'm going to look at three, three ways that we could actually live that out today uh, in our own context. Um, the three things are, first, he empowers them for ministry, verse 1. Jesus gives them authority to cast out demons and authority over disease and sickness. Number two, he provides for their physical needs by faith. That's verses 9 through 10. 
And then he teaches them a strategy that we're going to talk about a little bit. But also in the middle of that, he prepares them for rejection also. Verses 11 through 15. Some of you here have been gifted with the gift of apostleship. And I just pray that you don't run from that. I'm sure God is talking to you right now. He's laid something on your heart somewhere where you need to be planning the gospel in a context that hasn't, that's, that hasn't heard it yet. I hope you are moved with compassion for people enough to actually do that and not just to let that fade or think someone else needs to do it because God has specifically called you and I'm going to show you that. So number one, Jesus empowers them for ministry. Matthew 10, 1. He summoned his 12 disciples and he gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Jesus gives them the authority over unclean spirits. Uh, the question, does anyone here believe in spiritual warfare? Okay, it wasn't supposed to be that many people that say yes. <laughs> no, I meet a lot of people who do not believe in spiritual warfare. And I think that, and I don't, I don't like making blanket statements, but the people who do not believe in spiritual warfare are typically the people who are not engaged in some type of ministry. If you're going to do ministry, there's definitely going to be spiritual warfare like you've never seen before. Um, it, it, that's because you're trying to take the gospel into Satan's kingdom and, and drag some people out of it and showing them light. Um, Satan's going to attack you. He's going to attack you. And here's two ways. Mentally, ministry can be so sad because Satan has blinded people to the glory of God. And they consistently choose darkness over light. And that is so frustrating to watch people choose, choose sin or choose just the wrong paths in their life consistently. And there's just really nothing you really can do about it. You can't shake them out of it. You know, this is a the spiritual battle is a spiritual one. Uh, but, the, but also Satan is literally attacking you. Like there's real physical uh, attacks coming at you. When we started the, the Haven and we were just doing the Fitchburg Youth Haven type of thing, we started to notice that, okay, you know, this is great that we're picking the kids up and they're having a whole bunch of fun and that's great and we're giving them the gospel, but they're still going home to parents who are, who are addicts. Uh, I dropped a kid off once and uh, mom didn't answer the door. She, was, she had overdosed in the tub, things like that. You know, the, we, so me and my wife were like, we're kind of like technically just babysitters. You get what I'm saying? We need to restore the image of Christ into families. And the best way to do that is going to be to plant a church. Man, when I said that, Satan got busy. I mean, people who I, that loved me turned. There was slander. Uh, there were Christians, um, literally Christians who were just making, just making things so difficult. I got sick. Like sick, sick. Like I've never been this sick before. It, it was crazy. Um, I, I, oh, the, the, the city, the, uh, Fitchburg, uh, for our building, they lost our paperwork three times, literally three times. I'm like, come on, man, seriously. And it's like, um, it got to a point, and I'm speaking to Pastor Robert about this. He's like, man, this, this is spiritual warfare. I'm not the type of person who wants to, I am from the South, but I'm not the type of person who wants to throw the devil on everything. Um, you know, that's the devil. We do that a lot down south. Sometimes it's you. I'm just being honest with you. It's not, it's not the devil. It, it really isn't. It's God has told us to do stuff, and, it's, and we're not doing what we're supposed to do. But this was spiritual warfare. And, and I knew this was spiritual warfare because it only happened when the words plant a church came out of our mouths. 
there was just so much sudden drama and trials. I told God, man, I'm not, um, I'm not, I'm not cut out for this, man. <laughs> this church planting thing is like real life. Um, I, I got to get out of here. And, and I really struggled that I was ready to go home, talk to Pastor Robert about it. Um, but my favorite epistle is uh, Colossians. And um, whenever I'm in distress, I always turn back to it and go to it. And so I'm reading Colossians, and I've read Colossians a thousand times. Uh, but um, this really stuck out to me, so I just want to read to you Colossians 1.16. It says, For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, rather thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. Listen to this. All things have been created through him and for him. After meditating on that for a little bit, it finally hit me. All things have been created through, through Christ for him. That includes Satan and his demons. Jesus empowers the apostles here with the power he has over Satan. Satan can only do what God allows. I think it's really awesome that Cindy read from, um, uh, from the book of Job, where we clearly see that Satan is not sovereign. God is sovereign over all things. If you're a Christian, you have been empowered with the full armor of God to stand against the wiles of the devil. I mean, we have the promises, we have the word of God, we have prayer, we have brothers and sisters uh, that come alongside us. And we're on the offense, man. The gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. I thought that was a defensive verse. I mean, that's offense. That's us going through the gates. Um, Satan can't stand against the church. You, you guys understand what I'm saying? We're, we're on the offense. We have nothing to back down from. You've been empowered with everything you need. Not so you can boast. Not so you can sit and watch millions of people go to their grave without hearing the gospel. No, these gifts, and I think you guys are going through a gift series right now. These gifts, these promises and, and power is for us to be on mission. That's what they're for. Jesus says, I'm with you. And we believe that as we go out with the gospel message, we're taking people from Satan's kingdom to Jesus' kingdom. There's going to be spiritual warfare. So, of course, Satan's going to attack you. Why wouldn't he? And warfare is hard. But I can tell you this. I've, the deepest intimacy I've ever felt with God was during spiritual warfare. I always come out of it closer to God. I always come out of it understanding who I am down here and, and who he is. So, yeah, it's hard, but it changes you. If you're a Christian, you have been commanded to glorify God by telling people about God. And the promise Satan will not prevail against you. I hope that motivates you. I hope it does. Uh, number two, faith. He provides physical needs by faith, verses 9 through 10. Uh, Jesus tells the apostles, look, don't ask for nothing and don't take anything. I think a lot of that had to do with the integrity of the message um, um, of the of the early church. It was so early that like the integrity of the message had to be, this is free. Actually, Jesus says, you know, if you freely receive this, uh, don't ask for anything, depend on me. Jesus tells the apostles, do not bring anything with you and do not ask for anything from the people you come across. Hebrews eleven six says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. You know, Jesus wanted the apostles to de depend on him and him alone. That's it. And God provided for all their needs. And we know this because in Luke, uh, you can check there later. Uh, I'm sorry, I think it's, um, uh, I want to say Luke 16. Uh, Jesus, uh, he's recalling this event. And he says, hey, when I sent you guys out, did you want for anything? And the apostles are like, no. And it's like, he's exactly, exactly. And church planning is hard. Um, I'll, just, I'll just tell you straight up, it, it's hard. Uh, money, most 
church planters are broke. I mean, it is what it is. Uh, Mercy House has been such a blessing to us, um, just mentally and financially. But can I tell you guys a secret? There's not a lot of Mercy Houses out there. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, there's not a lot of people that understand the importance of church planning and want to come alongside church planners. So typically church planners are asking for money, uh, bivocational like me. Uh, so you're, 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 you're basically kind of like paying for everything. Um, and you're just worried about, man, God, I'm running out of money. Uh, what's going to happen? This is just a day-to-day thing that's going on. I was just talking to Brother Tommy as we were praying. You know, church planning is a 24-hour thing. You don't stop. You're laying in bed. You know, you got to remind yourself to sleep because you're just always thinking and thinking about the anxiety that, that you're created. Also, laborers are hard. Most church planners are alone. Usually, it's them and their wives in the beginning. And if you're not careful, you become like a, a desperate single person. Uh, we all have that, that person, that desperate single person in our lives. You know that one person says hi and they're thinking about marriage already? You know, that's, church planners are like that. And I was like that. Um, and just if you're out there church planning, um, when you're church planning, any person that says hi, you're like, hey, come join the church. And some people do not need to be in your church. I'm just going to be honest with you. Uh, they're going to cause you a lot of problems. You need to pray and trust that God will send the people that he needs to your church and stop trying to do everything on your own. And you, it can save you a whole lot of problems. And I'm not going to go too deep into that because this may be taped. But I learned a great <laughs> lesson about that to stop being so desperate and just to trust God. Um, and then there's depression. There's just a lot of rejection. Um, there's just a lot of rejection when you're, when you're going out. Um, so yeah, church planners have a lot of anxiety, like everyone else. But God wants us to put all our anxiety on him and do what he has called us to do. He wants us to remain faithful in what he has called you to do and trust that he will handle the rest. A real quick story. Uh, when we first got to uh, Fitchburg, desperate, uh, man, we're trying to just go to everything, go to every event. Uh, so we started going to these community events. There was this guy named John. He would throw these events. He was the only one there. Really cared about the community. Um, but after a while, we just started saying, man, you know, are we wasting our times coming to these? And I, and I was going to stop going to them. But God really convicted me to keep going to these community meetings. So we just kept going. And after a while, John couldn't do it anymore because he got a job. So we didn't see John again for like another year. Well, as I told you earlier, the city lost my paperwork three times. I'm sure the devil was in that. And so finally, I had it up to here. And I'm just like, I went in there. I'm like, come on, guys. You keep saying the paperwork's on the table. Where is it? So they're like, you know what? You just talk to my boss. So they walked me out to uh, this other building. And so I'm waiting on the boss. Guess who the boss was? It was John. And uh, John looks at me. He says, and he looks at them and he says, man, this guy, he's good for the community. We're going to get him his, uh, he's going to use that building. So this Tuesday, we're going to be, uh, the, the city's going to be voting at the firehouse um, or whatever. But he's like, don't even worry about it. The building's yours. God go- knows what we need. And he goes before us. When John came out of that room, man, I was so happy. I wanted to kiss him. Like, I was like, seriously, because I knew straight up. I was like, man, we got it. And I couldn't believe that those Oh, boring, they were so boring, meeting, community meetings that we went to, so horrible, talking about the same thing over and over again. Who would have knew that we were just building a relationship with a guy that we are going to need in the future? Um, God, he knows what we need. He goes, he goes before us. So we pray harder now uh, at the Haven Church and for the city of Fitchburg. And God wanted us to show us that earlier, that we need to trust him and everything will be okay. Maybe God has told you to speak up at work or to a neighbor or do something for God. And Satan loves to tell you about how 
if you do that, it could terribly go wrong. And he's really good at doing that. Um, he operates off of fear. That's what he does. But the devil says, I mean, the, the Bible says that the just will live by faith. If God has told you to do ministry, and he has, and we'll get into that later, all of us, if you're a Christian, he's already working in our context. He's already working right now where he has called you to go. Let me just prove that to you just real quick. I'm going to go real fast. Acts 18, Paul is in Macedonia, and he's being rejected by everything. And Paul, he's like, you know what, fine. You guys, he's talking to the Jews. He's like, fine. You don't want to hear the gospel message? He shakes off his garment, and he says, man, I'm going to the Gentiles now to preach. He finds a person of peace named Titus Justice who lives next door to the synagogue. So Crispus is actually the guy named, I love these names, this guy named Crispus, he's the ruler of the synagogue. He believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Christians hearing Paul believed and were baptized. But listen what God said. And the Lord said to Paul, one night in a vision, do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent. And listen to this, for I am with you and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. You know, you don't live where you live just for no reason. You know, God has picked where you live, when you were going to live. There are people that God is convicting you to talk to because he's already working in their hearts. And all it's going to take is for you to just say something, anything, say something to plant that seed. And um, because God already has people in the city, he has tons of people in Amherst and the classes that you're in and your context. Uh, all you got to do is step out in faith and just believe um, that God's will will be done in it. Um, number three, he teaches them a strategy and he prepares them for rejection. Verses 11 through 15. And whatever city or village you enter, inquire who is worthy in it and stay at his house until you leave that city. As you enter the house, give it your greeting. If your house is worthy, give it your blessing of peace. But if it's not worthy, take back your blessing of peace. Jesus tells them to enter the house of a person of peace and to stay there. Uh, this is the, the Okios strategy. Uh, Okios meaning household. Um, Pastor Robert really, really got me into this uh, early in our relationship. I say early in our relationship. We're not dating, I promise you. <laughs> he has a wife. Um, uh, early on, he, he was speaking about apostolic church planning. I'm like, what, what is that? And he gave me this book, and it literally changed my life. And so I'm actually really excited to talk about this right now because that pretty much is our ministry. Um, and maybe he's talked about it to you guys, but just bear with me. Um, English, the household is a couple and their children. But in the Greek, uh, the word is much broader and included family, friends, neighbors, co-workers, and those who you typically came into contact with, like the gym and stuff like that, or shopping and grocery stores. Um, the apostles were to go door to door looking for someone who would let them in their homes, a person of peace, so that they could spread the good news to that person or family. And then that one family or one person would typically bring others to meet the apostles or Jesus. And Jesus used this strategy. He, he created it all the time. Uh, Mark 2, 14 through 15, Jesus calls Matthew the tax collector. Matthew calls other tax collectors. Um, Jesus calls Andrew. Andrew brought his brother Peter. Uh, uh, Jesus calls Philip. Philip brought his friend Nathaniel. Um, I don't know if you guys know Tom Rainer. Uh, he, he writes a lot of books and he's really smart. He says that there's more than 50% more than of people, if simply invited by a person they knew, they would attend a church service or a small group activity. 
Jesus tells the apostles, look, find that person of peace. And as an ambassador of Christ, and we all are for Christians, there are people in your household, remember the broader context, that we have relationships with, that we haven't reached out to or invited to an event or anything. Um, a lot of us say, well, if you show the love of Christ, that's, that's good enough. And I'm here to tell you this, and some people disagree with me, but I, w- the goal is not to make friends. The goal is to make friends so that you can tell them the message, the message of Christ, the, save, the saving faith of Christ. And I think a lot of people, they make friends, and it never goes any further than that. It never goes any further than that, to tell them the truth. What we do is we, we build relationships, earning the right with the person to speak life into their life. As ambassadors of Christ, we must take hold of this ancient strategy of Jesus Christ. We have to develop our own household plan. So here's what you do. You, number one, you reach out to family members until you find that person of peace. You reach out to coworkers until you find that person of peace. You reach out to neighbors until you find a person of peace. You're looking just for one. You reach out to people who you see on a consistent basis at Dunkin's. Are y'all Dunkin's or Starbucks? Or Starbucks. Star, Starbucks. Are you Dunkin's? Uh, I'm a Folgers guy myself. But um, yeah, like all those type of places. You just reach out to people who you see on a consistent basis until you find one person apiece. And I'm just going to tell you straight up, you're going to be rejected. And here's what Jesus said about that, verse 14. Whoever does not receive you nor heed your words as you go out of that house or that city, shake the dust off your feet. Truly, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. We were rejected um, a lot, Uh, laughed at, mocked at. (laughs) I was even mocked by a witch and my coworkers one day at work. And uh, so, so Fitchburg has like a really big witch population. Um, and they'll straight up tell you like, hey, we're, we're witches and everything. And, and I got, I've had some good dialogues with them. But there was this one, there was this one lady who, uh, she was making fun of me. This is the same lady who hands out moon water at work. Do you guys know what moon water is? Okay, of course you don't, right? No, it's not, it's not, it's not normal. Um, moon water is when at night, when you go to sleep, you, you put water by the moon or, or in, in the front of the moon and overnight it turns into moon water. So I'm weird. <laughs> you, know, you get what I'm saying? At, at work, everyone's making fun of me. I'm, hey, there's a God that loves you. That's weird. But moon water is normal. And I, so I really struggle with that one. I, I know I'm, rejection's hard and I'm pretty like, okay with rejection, but that, that really made me mad because that, that was just ridiculous. And, um, <laughs> I'm the weird one at work because I believe in God and she has moon water. But anyway, um, yeah, I'm sorry. (laughs) I never got over that one, but you will be rejected. Uh, People are just going to reject you and um, make fun of you. Um, You you really got to have your identity in Christ. You you really have to be okay with knowing that God loves you because it's totally hard out there. It really is. Um, But finally, we found one person of peace. Uh, he's in jail right now, but <laughs> he led us to other people. <laughs> he led us to his brother. Um, then I found another person of peace, um, Elizabeth, and she led us, led us to our worship team. Uh, we became foster parents, and that led us to uh, a mom who was a gypsy. 
And this was really cool because, um, like, only thing I knew about gypsies with those crazy shows on TV, they're like, you know, they're like, you know, the gypsy, I don't know, don't watch those shows, don't worry about it. Anyway, um, uh, she, she was a gypsy and then she led us to like other gypsies and we're getting to have all these conversations. And I remember laying in bed with my wife, I'm like, what if God is calling us to the gypsy community? Like, you don't even know what God is doing, you know, because it's like, it's just that all it takes is that one person, her husband or boyfriend is uh, a Puerto Rican. Uh, and so that led to, to more people. He got saved uh, two months ago. His name is Greg. And you just never know. You're just looking for one person, and that one person will bring somebody else. You're showing love to that one person. And, and what you're doing is because of your integrity, they trust you. They're, they're, they're bringing you in. You're letting them do the work. But it takes you saying something to one person. Now, if you struggle with rejection, and I definitely struggled with rejection all my life, um, you got to be careful of that because it will cost you not to witness, you know, fear, shame, and all that stuff. But you got to remember that you can't make anyone accept the message. And you're not called to do that. You're just called to tell the message. And they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting Christ. Uh, once we understood that, we, we became cool with uh, being the weird people on the street. And it led us into better relationships with people. And that's the strategy that we're taking. So just really quick, uh, before the message is over, um, I have this sheet that I made. Um, and awesome. I got yellow paper for you guys. And um, it just talks about um, just a really cool way. So statistically speaking, and statistics, you know how statistics go, but apparently uh, a lot of really smart people say that there's eight people from us uh, who are in driving distance or, or that we just know that we could reach out to right now, today, that you've built a relationship with them, that they trust you, that they will come to some type of event. Um, and you just use a strategy. And whatever you guys do here, uh, just, you know, that event, um, invite them to it. Uh, your biological family, you know, there's someone in there that you can reach out to. Find one person of peace, uh, work, uh, your community, sports, activities, wherever you hang out with. Just take this down. Take this, please. Just do it for the crazy guy from Louisiana. And just write down someone that you can reach out to um, that needs to hear the message and just see what God does with it. And there's some sheets on the back there for you. And it just really breaks it down really simple. But this is, the, this, this is an ancient strategy that has been used for just for thousands of, well, about a hundred, lots of years <laughs> of the early church. Um, and it's really, it, it really is um, empowering how it just like dominoes, the domino effect that happens from it. I know there's many of you um, here who, you're talented, I mean, you're gifted. Um, you, 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 God is speaking to you to do something. Uh, he wants you to do something for him. And you feel it, you, you know it, you just don't know what it is. Uh, maybe you're working with Pastor Robert or whatever it is, but it could be the gift of apostleship. But I wanna be clear, the gift of apostleship is there are people who are really gifted. They're, they're missionaries, you know, they're, re they're ready to go plant churches, you know, they're, they're built for their lifestyle or whatever like that. But I want you to understand that all Christians are called to plant the gospel in a context where there is no gospel. Or also, not just a context where there is no gospel, in the context of a place that has lost the message. Does that make sense? So, so yeah, yeah, go to places. You can go to foreign countries, places that have never heard the gospel. But I'm going to tell you right now, there are places here in America, in Amherst, uh, in your context, in your dorm rooms or wherever, in your family, that the gospel has not been planted there. And we all are ambassadors for Christ. 
we are commanded to spread the message. Um, I'm telling you, you're not a friend if you're not spreading the message. Um, you can do all the good deeds in the world, but if you're not telling them a person what they really need, and I'm not saying like, you know, uh, like my buddy says, uh, uh, what Bible drive-bys, I'm not saying go do that. I'm not saying just, just let's freak out on a person. What I'm saying is that uh, you gotta get there. Somehow, some way, you gotta get the message across to them because the biggest lie that the devil tells us is that tomorrow is promised. And it just isn't, um, you know, Fitchburg, check the news. You, you know what we're dealing with, heroin. Um, man, I, I work at the hospital. I, I, I just got a new job at hospice, but I worked at the hospital my first week, six overdoses. I, I just couldn't believe it, you know? People coming off, just dropping off their girlfriends, uh, passed out, and then driving off. They didn't know that there's actually a Good Samaritan law where if you have drugs on you, you will, you will not be persecuted. They didn't know that, so they're just dropping people off in the streets. Uh, we're just watching people die on the spot. Um, tomorrow's not promised. Um, and that's like extreme, you know, drugs. But man, you can, you can walk right out here. You never know what's going to happen. And Satan really has us tricked in two ways, that this life is all that matters and that tomorrow is promised. And it's not. All Christians are to be planning the gospel in places where it does not yet exist. Some will be especially gifted to do this. And they can express this by reaching people in their context while being a member of a local church or by church planning or other missionary endeavors. But like I said, if you're a Christian, you're an ambassador for Christ. The Bible tells us that God picked the time that you would be born and the city you live in. There are people out there that are dispirited, distressed. Just look at people in their faces as they're walking down the street. They don't even have to say a word. You know that they have trouble. They have troubled minds. And also, you know that there's a lot of false teachers out there that are not giving them the truth. You are light in the darkness of Amherst, in your neighborhoods, on the job, to your family members. The harvest is plenty. It really is. Plant the gospel where there is no gospel witness. Like I said, people don't just, they don't just need a good Christian friend. They need a Christian friend who will tell them the truth. Verse 7, the kingdom of God is at hand. Some of you may have a calling on your life to go and plant the gospel somewhere other than Amherst. I pray for you, and I hope that you don't, do not ignore that calling. You've been a gifted with an ability to be a missionary or plant a church. Remember, God has empowered you with that to be able to do that. You must put your faith in him. Some of you, maybe after hearing me, maybe you called to come to Fitchburg. Man, we need the help. We need as many, many helpers as possible. And I got full permission from Pastor Robert to say that. I promise you. All right. <laughs> told me to go ahead and say that, man. We, we, we need the help. Can't pay you, but we give hugs. We, right, that's, we're a hugging church, man. You, we'll, we'll, we'll feed you and we'll give you a hug. But man, no, seriously, all, all jokes aside, pray about it. Um, if you, if you want to come out and help us, man, give me a call. Um, please, please do that. But as we prepare to take communion, we remember what Christ did for us. We go out with this message of hope and we suffer these, these, these cultural barriers and rejection and all this stuff. Why? Because Christ did it for us. Christ left heaven, came down here, suffered rejection all the way up to death so that we would be forgiven. So that is completely why we do this and we do this with joy. We do this because it matters. We do this because it matters to God. 
God loves people and we, should, we love the things of God. And so we, we do this understanding and knowing that one day that we will be with God because he did the same things for us. And like I said in verse 8, it says, freely you received, you freely give. You were freely forgiven. Freely give people what they need to hear. We remember the foundation of our faith, the cornerstone of the household of God by taking communion as a family together. 1 Corinthians 11, 23, 26 says, The Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Christ died for my sins and your sins, not his own. And in the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, The cup is in the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So under the new covenant, we have access to God. We can have a relationship with our creator. We can come to the throne boldly and not in, and, and not in fear because, you know, we can't approach God like in the Old Testament. But in the New Testament, we can come to God, but not by works. I, I don't know many of you. I don't know where you're, where you're at on this in your relationship with God. But the whole point of the Bible is that God did all the work for us so that he can reconcile everything back to himself, including you. You can't work your way to heaven. Christ has already did everything that needs to be done. He died and then he resurrected. And all he's saying is just have faith. Put your trust and your hope and me, and you will be saved. You will be forgiven because God is compassionate. He's a compassionate God, as I said earlier. All he wants you to do is turn from your sins. And that is the message that we're calling out to people. Man, we have such a serious message, and sometimes we forget that, how serious it is, how important it is. Um, man, it's not about making Christianity cool or, or whatever it is. It's about telling people that, man, there is something after death. There is life after death. That, that, that's, that's our message. And that's why we take communion. So if you're a Christ follower, I invite you to come and partake of the communion as you guys typically do this morning. And if you're not, and you're just like, what is going on? Uh, it's moon water. I'm just kidding. No, it's, no, <laughs> no, it's not. Um, this, is what we, this is what we do because our Savior, we love him, we remember him. We, um, we, we come together as a family and we do this in remembrance of God. Um, um, so this might be like, you're like, whoa, I don't know what's going on. Uh, don't worry, you can just sit there. But really think about what I said. Tomorrow is not promised. Pray. I mean, maybe you have never prayed, never, never talked to God. But I, I pray for you that God, after this, you can come see me in the back. We could talk. I pray that God would send someone in your life to come and talk to you even more deeply about this. Um, it's so important that you don't leave here. To, don't make this just another Sunday. And I say that all the time. It's just that's another Sunday to come in the building to hear a great message. Um, get right with God today. Get right with God today. So I'm going to pray. I went over my time and um, we'll get started. All right. Let's pray. Father, I just um, thank you that um, we could come here to Amherst and uh, be with family, um, be with friends. You, you created the church. You understood that community was so important. And I thank you that uh, you sent Pastor Robert into my life to help me with uh, so many things that I was dealing with to keep me encouraged. I thank you for Mercy House who has blessed us financially, has blessed us um, just in so many ways, just guidance, 
uh, even the name of our church, Lord. Um, I just thank you for that. I don't know where we would be without that, Lord. Um, but you created the church, like I said, and you knew how important this community is. I pray for this church. I pray that it will always be a place where your word is preached, taught, lived, and where glorifying you is the number one thing. I pray for um, those here who have the gift of apostleship, who you want to send out to on a, on, a, on a broader context, um, send out to places that do not have the gospel. I pray for them if they're called to be missionaries, called to plant churches or whatever that is, that you will guide them and give them everything they, they need to do that. Um, and you have already done that with um, your son, your blood, your son dying on the cross. We have everything that we, we need to live a life um, for you. But Father, I just pray that you will strengthen them and you will give them the will to do uh, your work, Lord. You'll keep the devil away from them, Lord. And even if the devil, and when he does attack them, you will, you will fight the battle before them. You will protect them. But Lord, I also pray for those here who do not have a relationship with you, who have been coming here probably for a while, and they just haven't made that, 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 that jump yet to get to know you or to accept what you're offering, um, Lord. I pray that today... They will trust in you and what you did and agree with you that they are sinners, agree with you that they have done things against your holy name, against your holy commands. And then they would say, hey, but understand that Jesus paid for that with his life and they will trust in that, Lord. And I know if they do that, you will forgive them instantly. It will instantly happen. Father, I just pray that that happens today. I pray that we'll have conversations after conversations after this. We'll dialogue and talk just more about you on your day. Uh, pray for all the church planners out there, Lord. I, I talk to church planners all the time. I mean, pray for us, Lord. Um, just send send the mercy house to those uh, church uh, church planners. Someone to come alongside them, like they've come alongside me, to strengthen to me, Lord, because we need each other more than ever in these days. I ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen.